0: The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right. Good morning, church. Uh, For those of you I haven't met yet, this is a little loud. I'm loud, Kevin. I'm already loud. Uh, For those of you that I haven't met yet, I'm Kyle Knight. I'm the youth and digital minister here as well as an elder candidate. Um, I know... Those of you who have been here a long time are, are sick of hearing this, but our lead pastor, Pastor Chris, is on sabbatical this summer. We've got to say it every single week. He's only got a couple weeks left. Um, so we're down towards the end. He actually texted me this morning, um, and he said that he's praying for everybody here and to tell everybody they're looking forward to seeing you all. Um, he definitely misses everybody. Uh, so does Marcy. So, um, Keep praying for them. They've got a couple weeks left, uh, but they definitely miss um, all of you. But um, I'm up here to continue our series in Matthew. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Welcome, everybody joining us online, uh, wherever you're watching from, you can grab your Bibles as well. Open them up to Matthew 16. There's a Bible underneath every chair if you need it. Uh, Page 822, you can open up there. Uh, Now... I want to start this morning uh, because I am the youth pastor here. Um, I get to kind of brag about our youth for a little bit, but I wanted to I wanted to just kind of update you a little bit on something that um, our youth here did uh, a couple weeks ago. Now uh, we had a little service project where we went uh, kind of right up the street at the to the Life Center of Littleton. Uh, if you've ever been there, if you don't even if you don't even know what this place is, it's a place where uh, they serve the homeless community. Uh, they have a a food bank there. Uh, they also like teach classes and all this other really cool stuff. And so we got to go up there for just three days and and serve them with our youth. Um, I'm going to show some pictures here uh, as I'm kind of talking about it a little bit. Uh, but um, our our youth got to serve in a food bank. Uh, they got to help out. Over 120 families that went through just in one evening on a Tuesday evening there at their food bank. Uh, They helped to get them groceries uh, and then bring them out to their cars. Um, So see a a few uh, pictures of that. And then uh, the big project they got to work on was building a greenhouse, uh, so our youth got to build a, a this huge greenhouse for uh the life center of Littleton and you know that's there's a lot of different values in, in that um so they can kind of grow their own food that they'll be using uh at the food bank as well as so uh some of their clients can go there and just and learn what that what that looks like to kind of take care um of their own food and everything so from start to finish they uh they built this greenhouse from uh from it being pieces in boxes, building in the a giant uh kind of warehouse garage sort of thing, uh to th- this is them building it right here, uh to what I'll show you here in just a little bit. But um I just want to say that uh, uh building this greenhouse was not an easy task. Um I mean if you think it's easy fine you you go do it. Uh but it was <laughs> It was difficult. Um, let's just say some things are easier than others. Uh, some moments were just difficult and frustrating, uh, but it was really new for all of us. Okay, it was new. None of us had built a greenhouse before. So needless to say, we had a lot of questions that were going through like the, this, the entire three days. We had a lot of questions. And in um, being the adult-ish of the group, um, I know sometimes I'm not really a, a, an adult. I don't feel like it. But being the adult and the leader of the group, uh, I kind of had to field a lot of these questions that they had. And um, so over three days in building the greenhouse, these were some of the questions that it, it ranged from. Um, I got a lot of questions from our, our teenagers of, of just, uh, what does this measurement mean? Like, like what, what do these lines mean on a, on a tape measure? Um, what's an Allen wrench? okay that's what that is. Now go, go find it somewhere. Um, hey, can, I had a lot of it. Can you help me? Can you help make this fit? Um, those kind of questions too. Kyle, can I use the circular saw? No, that's a quick answer. Um, or Kyle, can I go up on the roof? No, you can't. These were some serious, these were questions. Um, and even just as frustrating as this could be especially starting out starting to build this thing from from the bottom up we had some questions of uh does the foundation have to be straight yeah um i even heard uh can we just skip that part no no you can't skip that part but um let's just say there's 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 important questions and then there's not so important questions um, there's some silly questions, but then there's also some bigger questions like, can I use a saw? And there was not a chance that was happening. Um, and in the end, uh, the, I'll show you a picture of the finished greenhouse here. Um, yes, it's in a parking lot right now, but um, it will be wherever they want it to be right now. Uh, so if you're, if you're ever seriously up the, if you go up Main Street east of here for a mile, maybe two, uh, turn past the Ark Thrift Store, and it's just right across the street from the Ark Thrift Store. Um, you'll see this, and that's what our uh, our youth built, so super proud of them. Uh, now, they're, th- the thing is, we built it inside a huge garage um, and then moved it out, and they're not ready to put it where it's supposed to go yet, so we did our job, um, and it's there until they want to move it. Um, so they're going to move it to wherever they need it, but my point in showing uh, some of these, besides kind of getting get to, to brag about our youth a little bit, um, was was to kind of just put it out there that there are, there are small questions and there are big questions. Right, there, there are those questions that, that are easy, like those questions that don't take a lot of effort to answer. They take a second to answer or, or really those rhetorical questions that don't even need to be answered. Um, and then there's the tougher questions that take a little bit more. Uh, to answer? Or, or a little bit harder, um, like, does the foundation have to be straight? Those are important questions. Um, so, but the thing is, we all have questions, right? We all have these big questions. And even when it comes to our relationship with God, we have we have questions, right? And I'm sure uh, most of you have heard this before, maybe when you were a kid, or maybe you still hear it now, of, of the, kind of that one question that we always have sometimes of, you know, when you get to heaven, what would you ask God? What's the one question you would you would ask God? And I got to ask my six-year-old son that uh, this week. I just wanted kind of wanted to hear what he said. And he said um, that he would ask God, what kind of toys do they have in heaven? Like, all right, legitimate question, sure. Um, I would just ask the question of why spiders? Um, just why? What was the point of them, God? Like, seriously, why did you do that? Um, but... And here's here's the deal. I want to transition into the scriptures we're going to be reading today and just scripture in general. I would love to to get your minds going and and to think about, if I were to ask you this, um, what would you say if you had to take a guess of a number about how many questions Jesus asks in scripture? Okay, how many questions Jesus asked that are, that are written down. Of course, it's not, that's not everything, but, um, but you have to, if you had to take a guess of how many questions Jesus asked, what would you guess? You can say it if you want. Awesome, no guess. That's okay. 307 questions. Okay, there are 307. Now, I don't know if that's like, oh, wow, that's a lot more. That's not as much as I thought. I mean, it's 307 questions that we have written down in, in scriptures. 183 of those questions Jesus answers himself. Okay, I don't know if you're one of those who answers your own questions. Um, that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share my opinion on that. But that's he answered, 183 of those he answers himself, which means 124 of them Jesus expects an answer from those questions that he asks. Some big, some small. But today we're going to be looking at two questions that Jesus asks his disciples. Okay, and in turn asks us as well. And one of those questions I believe uh, is the most important question that we will ever answer of Jesus. So are you ready? That's not the question, but you ready. Okay, let's, let's open up our Bibles. Matthew chapter 16, we're gonna start at verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So here we have one of Jesus' 307 questions that he asks: who do people say that the son of man is? This is the first of the two questions he asks his disciples, but I wanna go ahead and give us some context because we always gotta start with context, what's going on in Matthew at this time? Where are Jesus and his disciples? All of those uh, need to be answered in order for us to understand uh, these, these questions and what's going on here. So um, I've got to say, this section of Matthew is one of the most important. It's, it's In Matthew, it's really a turning point for the gospel of Matthew. Because just next week, as we'll see next week, uh, Jesus will begin talking about his death and resurrection to his disciples that he hasn't talked about up until this point. So up until this point, he hasn't said it yet. So this section is super, super important uh, in the gospel of Matthew because it shows that Jesus is ready to start preparing his disciples for what's to come. And in order to prepare them, Jesus needs to ask them a couple questions. So we're at this place, Jesus and his disciples are at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, what is important about this place, what's going on there is that this, this area of Caesarea Philippi is a Gentile region most known for their pagan worship of other gods, of many, many different gods. They have about 14 different temples at that moment. At that, t- at that time, there were about 14 different temples there in the city that people will go there to worship 14 different gods. So Caesarea Philippi was really a place where everybody worshiped their own God, did what, it, what they needed to do, what they wanted to do to please the God they worshiped. And so Jesus and his disciples are at a pretty interesting area. They're at a pretty interesting place to say the least. So it's important to understand that, where they're coming from because of these two questions that happen next. So Jesus starts off um, asking his disciples the first question, who do people say that the son of man is. And we're gonna call this first question really the general question. This is, this is the general question, the broad question that Jesus asks. This is really, it's the setup for what's next, but there's also a lot that happens in this question. So he asks his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they answer, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets, and so Jesus's first question asking, who does everyone say that the son of man is? Of course, what he's really asking is, who, who does everyone say that I am? Like, wh- like, what is the talk around town about me? What are people saying about me? And now he calls himself the son of man. And this is important because this is a title recognized by rabbi as the title given to the Messiah. The the term he uses here is given to this Messiah. And we see this in the Old Testament, okay? In the Old Testament book of Daniel uh, chapter seven, I'll put this up on the screen so you can see it. It says this in verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Ancient of days here, meaning God in, in heaven. And so that same turn, son of man, is used here. So everyone would have known son of man, that title meant son of God, Messiah. They were taught these in in the scriptures. So in a weird way, Jesus is asking this question of who do people say that I, the son of man is In in a weird way. He's asking this because he's kind of, it's weird because he's kind of giving the answer in the question, right? He's kind of saying, who do people say that I, the Messiah, the son of man is, and we'll see here, He's really looking for that specific answer of who people say that he is, the answer to that question. So he's kind of giving us this answer. This is, the, this is, this is what he wants to hear. Um, let me ask you this question. Uh, where are my good test takers at? Good test takers. Yes, way to get, awesome. I mean, I'm not, uh, we'll just put that out there. Not a good test taker. Um, that's okay. Do you know what tests I'm really good at taking? are the open book tests or the open note tests, whatever you call them, open note, open book. Um, anyone else? Yeah, I love those tests. Uh, you know, back, back in my day, uh, usually it was uh, whatever you can fit on one page. So it was kind of like, hey, we're gonna give you a teacher. The professor was like, we'll give you a little time. Whatever you can fit on one piece of paper, you can use. And believe me, I was writing as small as I possibly could to fit everything on that one Piece of paper, uh, because then you would have you would have the answers right in front of you, right? This is like the open book thing or the online classes we've got now, where it's like you can go ahead and use your book. It's like, all right, I've got the textbook in front of me. I'm sure teachers love that nowadays. Uh, but that's it's really what Jesus is kind of proposing to his disciples in this first question. He's kind of giving them the answer there, almost sort of a a lead in. Who does the world say out there that the Son of Man? is like what, what are you hearing about me what's the popular consensus about who i am like who are the who are the common people of this area saying i who i am and remember Caesarea philippi this is a gentile non-believing country and so he's saying like who who does the world say that i am like what are they saying about me and this was his disciples answer some say john the baptist others say elijah and others jeremiah or one of the prophets so you see in that answer we don't see son of man. Like we don't, we don't see that answer in there. And I'm not blaming the disciples because they're just reiterating what they've been heard. But um, because son of man isn't in there, let's go through some of these answers of who some people are saying that they believe Jesus is. Okay. So we can better understand this. John the Baptist. The first one they say is, well, we've heard that people are saying you're John the Baptist. Why? Why would some people say John the Baptist. Well, we know that like Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. So in a weird way, I've read like, hey, maybe they did have some physical resemblance to each other that maybe they kind of looked like each other. So people thought Jesus was John the Baptist. But wait, isn't John the Baptist dead at this point? Yes, we've covered that in Matthew this summer. And last summer, it's like he is in Matthew chapter 14, he was beheaded by Herod. So it, it, what's, what's crazy, it was a bit of a rumor around Herod that he thought um, Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead, right? And of course, if Herod believed that, everyone else believed that. And another crazy sort of popular opinion back there was also that many people never saw John the Baptist and Jesus in like the same area or the same room together. And so they just, some actually kind of believed they were the same person because they never really. Oh, he never saw them in the same room together at the same time. I mean, that would be like believing I was Captain America. Um, which, hey, don't let you have. Have you seen me in the same room as him? No, exactly, exactly. It it it's true. It's it's a good, yeah. It it, it works out. Um, but these are some of the reasons that people actually believed that Jesus was John the Baptist. A few weird ones, but. Next, it says Elijah, okay? Elijah, now why him? So in the Old Testament, there's some scripture in the Old Testament, like in the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, chapter four, verse five, I'll read this for you. It's, it prophesied, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so Elijah was known as what they called the, a messianic front runner. Okay, not, not the Messiah, but a messianic front runner means somebody that comes before the Messiah to sort of pave the way for the Messiah. And if you've been here as we've been studying the gospel of Matthew, like we know we've, we've read a lot about someone who paved the way for the Messiah and that was John the Baptist, right? We like, we know that. And the next one, it says, there's Jeremiah, okay? There's Jeremiah. Why did people believe Jesus was Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah was a prophet. Okay, and a little kind of fun fact about Jeremiah is that he was known as, and he was called the weeping prophet because um, he, he was seen having compassion for Israel um, and weeping over Israel in the book of Lamentations. Uh, so some people believed that Jesus was Jeremiah because of Jesus's compassion for Israel and, and the people of God, um, Crazy, I know, they believed some of this. But, um, and lastly, when, when Jesus asks his, their, his disciples this, like, who do people say the son, son of Man is? The last one is just, or one of the prophets, right? A, a very vague answer. Um, maybe Jesus is just one of the many prophets and a prophet being someone who, yes, for one, they could see into the future or talk about the future of what's gonna happen, but also someone who is used by God to communicate God's word to his People and so, in a sense, was Jesus a prophet? Yeah, like Jesus. Jesus knew the future, um, and 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 everything Jesus said and, and taught that was in in scripture really came from God, his his Father in heaven. So, sure, some of that is correct. Some of these things could kind of be pieced together, but but it wasn't. But he was so much more than all of those things, and so this was still not the answer that Jesus was really looking for. And there was a lot of confusion about who Jesus was out there in the world. Everyone had their own opinions about who Jesus was. And really, people were generally kind of divided on who Jesus was. Um, And all of the people that the disciples gave uh, who who believed that Jesus, like all these opinions of none of them said, son of man or Messiah or son of the living God that we'll see here in just a second. And I want to say this, like, here's the thing, church, is that Nothing has really changed. And it's it's still sort of the same today. Like the world is so divided on who Jesus is. Right? And you probably you probably know this already, but if you if you took a poll with like some of your your coworkers or your friends or your neighbors or even your family uh, of you might of like who do you who do they think Jesus is? You're probably going to get a wide spectrum of answers on what they would say about Jesus. Like if you went on Main Street right out here, um, right after right after service, and you asked people who would you say Jesus is, I'm sure you'd get a bunch of different answers, right? Like I'm sure you've heard a lot of these, but a lot of these are oh, oh, Jesus was just a good guy. Oh, Jesus, he he was he was just, he was a teacher. He was a wise teacher. Jesus was just a prophet. Or this one, Jesus he was a hum, Jesus was a humanitarian. He's just concerned for others. Well, Jesus, he was just a historical figure, nothing else. And especially, well, Jesus helped people. He was a nice guy, but he was just a person. He was definitely not the son of God. Like there's no connection there. He was just a human. He wasn't God. The world has so many different opinions on who Jesus is. And honestly, it's crazy to think about, I don't know about you, but like what happens when you bring up Jesus today? We just bring up the name of Jesus with coworkers or friends or in a group or neighbors or something like things can get awkward, right? Things can get really awkward. Like people aren't just divided on who they think Jesus is. Like Jesus's name could divide a room pretty quick if you say it. And, and what's crazy is, I mean, people are generally pretty comfortable talking religious talk. Like they'll talk about religion, um everyone's cool if you start talking about spirit being being spiritual like everyone's spiritual these days right but Jesus you bring up Jesus's name things get weird why because everybody has their own opinion on him and it's all because of who Jesus claimed himself to be and how that clashes with what the world with the world's opinion of him is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a couple verses um, up on the screen for you um, of this, what Jesus claimed himself to be. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like that, that just doesn't jive well with people these days, right? That's not just saying he, I'm just a good guy. I'm just a teacher. John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And so what Jesus said about himself really goes against the viewpoint of the world and what they have on him. Like Jesus, he kind of bugs people. He rubs people the wrong ways. He makes things awkward. Um, he didn't just claim to be a good person or a wise teacher or a prophet or, or, or a magician or a human being. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is this important? Like, why is this first question that Jesus asks his disciples important? Well, because if we have not confessed with our mouths who Jesus says he is and not who the world says he is, then we're just kind of like the world. We've got our own opinion about him, our own viewpoint of him. And there's so many different opinions on this. And listen, like if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we are more open to others' opinions and thoughts on who they believe Jesus is than what we know to be true. Right? Then what, what we know that Jesus said about himself, himself like we're so easily swayed to, to join in on the opinions of what other people say about Jesus. It's, it's the world we live in. And we can go either with the opinions of others, what the world says about Jesus, or we can listen to what the next question is that Jesus asks. And the way his disciples answered that. And when it comes down to this next question, I truly believe the answer to this next question will be the most important answer that you can give to this question. And if we get this one wrong, we just kind of get the whole thing wrong. So let's, let's read verse 15 and 16. So after he's asked, but who do people say that I am? And he gets that response. Jesus then said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So that first question, if that first question, who do people say that I am, was the general question, I'm going to call this one, this is the personal question. But who do you say that I am? That first question is really, it's a setup for this question. I mean, Jesus asked these very deliberately in this Order, he's funny with this. He's saying, Who does everybody say that I am? Okay, cool. Almost like, Oh, yeah, whatever. But now, who do you say that I am? That's cool what other people think, but who do you say that I am? This is the question that matters to Jesus. And why? Because the answer to this question really says it all. And Jesus is asking us this question, too. And your response to this question, just like Peter's, says it all, okay? And Peter's response to this, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Bingo, Peter, he got got it right. And why I say this, this is a personal question because this is personal because in, in Christianity, in believing in Jesus and having a relationship with him, putting your faith and life in Jesus Christ, receiving his salvation and his forgiveness of your sins, that's a very personal thing and knowing and believing this truth that Jesus is actually the son of man, the Messiah, the son of the living God, like he said he, he, he was, means that your salvation is based off of who Jesus said he was, not based on what other people say about him. And hear me, it's not enough just to, just to sort of believe this or even read this, we have to confess this. Like the that, that that Mary read over us this morning in Romans, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, like that's what this is talking about. We need to confess it, like Peter does here. It's not about what other people's people say. It comes down to the personal question that we all have to answer: Who do you say that I am? Now, I'll give I'll give a little example of this. One of the reasons why I love working with teenagers, um, especially being their their youth pastor and walking alongside them as their their figuring out their relationship with, with God and, um, and and going through all of that is I love helping them understand that their relationship with Jesus is, is a personal one, right? Like, like yes, you're, you're, you are you're become part of a church community. You're in a family of believers. You're in the body of believers of Christ, um, all of that. Like the, we, we say a lot of that, especially when we're talking about like our, our D groups or small groups, like you can't do this thing on your own. Like, yes, yes, and amen to all of that. Um but I love teaching them that, that sure, maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you, like you've learned a lot of, about Jesus from your parents. Um, you've heard a lot about your parents' relationship with God and how they're diving deeper and how they continue to progress in their walk with the Lord. And um, you go to the same church as your parents, obviously, but I always wanna make it clear to them that at some point you cannot continue to have the relationship with Christ be that of your parents. Like that your parents' faith in Christ isn't yours. Like that's not how this works. And this doesn't just work through like a weird osmosis sort of thing that it like your, your parents' relationship just kind of bleeds through your skin and it just becomes part of your life. Like that's, um, and you just make it your own that way. That's not how this happens. So it's important um, for our younger generation to understand that because I have seen Many times, these kind of teenagers almost sort of riding the coattails of their parents' faith all the way through church every Sunday, every year in school. And then they get to graduating high school and they go off on their own. And they're like, wait, where are my parents? Like, I don't, I don't know how to do this thing on my own. Like, what are my parents learning in church now? Because that, like, that's what I need to be learning right now your relationship with Christ is a personal one and Jesus is asking you who do you say that I am not not who do your parents say that I am or really what who do your parents your grandparents say that I am like what it comes down to is it's it's you confessing with your mouth of who you believe Jesus is and i and i tell them like hey you're not you're not going to get into heaven based on the faith of someone else Right, and just because your family like they've committed their life to Jesus doesn't mean, automatically mean yours, your life is. Like Jesus asks each and every one of the, us, his disciples, to this personal question. I want to know who you think I am. And Peter, Peter gets this question right. I mean, what do you know? Good old Peter. Um, I always like to think of Peter as like a lot like us. Like he's got his ups and downs for sure. Um, one day he's a a total dum-dum, and the next day he gets it. Like, he gets it here, and then we'll see next week he goes back to being a dum-dum again. Uh, But that I feel like that's a lot like us, but Peter answers Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Like, that's who you are because you have said that you are, and I believe it. Now, I wanna go through Jesus's response to what Peter says, okay? And hit some of the highlights because honestly, this whole next section could have been like three separate sermons, okay? But we don't have enough time for that. So let's let's go ahead and keep reading in verse 17 through 19. And we'll see what Jesus says here after, this is after Peter has said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, Okay, the answer, he gets right with a blessing, right? Jesus blesses Peter saying, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, which really just means son of Jonah. Okay, so blessed are you, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood had not revealed this to you, but my father who was in heaven. So really after, like after Peter finally does something right, he's got it right, he nails this question. He says what G, the, really the answer Jesus was looking for. Jesus says, way to go, Peter there's no way you came up with that on your own. Like, ouch, like, ouch. like that would just, that's a shot to the confidence for, for Peter. He's saying like, good job. There's no way you came up with that, right? You definitely received that from God. And hey, I feel for Peter here, he, he nails this answer, but Jesus kind of just says, that didn't come from you though, but great answer to that, but it's true. It's true. And and I believe here that Jesus is reminding them and reminds us the source of all good things that, that none of these things are actually coming from them. Like the things that they're doing, the wisdom that they're receiving, the movement that they're a part of, like it isn't anything that they're doing on their own. And this is really just a gentle reminder that God is their source, not themselves. And that might be a reminder that we need Today, and this continues in verse eighteen. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against against it. Now, uh, I want to spend a little time on this. This on this rock I will build my church. Okay, this this sentence is is really one of the most debated ones throughout uh, throughout Matthew's gospel, and I'll tell you why. Um, so what does Jesus really mean here? Like the question a lot of people have is, well, who is the rock? Who is this rock that Jesus is talking about? Like who is Jesus calling the rock? Is it, is it Peter? Is the rock that Jesus, is is Peter the one that he's going to, this rock that Jesus is going to build his church on? Is Jesus saying the church is, is built on the apostle Peter? And my short answer to that is no, Okay. And that's actually the wrong, the, the the incorrect like interpretation of this here that's saying Peter is the rock that Jesus will build the church on. And I want to tell you the why. If we study this and break it down in its original language, we learn a few things about what Jesus is actually saying to Peter here, okay? Jesus isn't saying Peter is the cornerstone of the church. If we know scriptures, even just a little bit, we know Jesus himself is the cornerstone of the church at the church of Jesus Christ is built on Jesus. And so now how do we know that it's Jesus and not Peter? Well, the nice thing is, is we have scripture and we can even go to it where Peter himself says and admits this in his letter a little bit later on in 1 Peter uh, chapter two. Peter says this, that it is written in scripture that behold, Jesus is the cornerstone. And so Jesus is the rock. Not Peter. What's also pretty cool and interesting about this is the fact that if you know a little bit about Peter, what his name originally means in Greek, it means Petros, means rock or small stone. So really here, Jesus might just be calling him by his his name, but Peter's Peter's name meaning small stone is also pretty cool because it kind of just means he's one of many small stones that Jesus, the rock, the firm foundation is building his church on. So Peter, along with his other, the other apostles, are, are these small stones, these pieces of the foundation that Jesus, the cornerstone, the rock, Jesus really the mountain that this church will be built on. And even Paul makes this clear. Okay, Paul, one of the other apostles, he makes clear uh, the role uh, of the apostles and Jesus himself um, in building the church. And he writes this in, in Ephesians. I'm going to read this to you. And what's awesome is we'll be studying Ephesians this fall here at Fathom Church, so join us with that. But in Ephesians chapter two, Paul says this. In verse 19, he says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone on whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so sometimes we get this confused about like, who is Jesus saying the rock is, is Peter the rock. And you know, even in Catholicism, they believe that that Jesus is calling Peter the rock here and that he's gonna build his church on Peter. That's kind of how they understand it to be like, Peter's considered the first Pope to them. But Peter says himself, like you, Jesus are the son, the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the cornerstone. And what's awesome is that confession that Jesus, that Peter has when answering Jesus here. That confession coming out of Peter's mouth from God being the source is what our lives and our faith is built on. And that's what the church of Christ is built on. So the best interpretation of this that I have read on this rock, this thing that he says, the the rock that I'll build my church on, what Jesus says that most theologians have agreed upon that, that who Jesus is saying, who who he's talking about when he's talking about the rock it's not Peter, but it's Peter's confession. It's Peter's answer to Jesus's question. The words Peter confesses, speaking the name, the, like telling Jesus he is the Christ, the son of the living God, believing and agreeing with who Jesus claimed himself to be. That is what Jesus has built his Christ on. So not Peter, not the, the other apostles, Jesus himself and the, this confession of every other believer in Christ that he is the son of the living God. And that is what Jesus is gonna build his church on. So this confession of who Jesus is, like if we choose to make it, is our foundation in Christ. And he does the building on that of his church. And really guess what? Like, Like upon that confessing of Jesus and being the son of the living God and being a part of Christ's church, it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And what's really cool about this is this isn't necessarily translated as the physical gates of hell. Hell here is, is translated as death. So, so it's really what Jesus is saying here. Right? When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart who I say that I am, I will build my church on that and death won't stand a chance against it. Jesus is saying, I will build my church and death will not prevail against it my church. So really the question for us is like, what does that mean for us? Like as, as a church, as, as Christ's church, we are given the authority over death and evil and fathom. Think about that for just a second. Like are, 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 are we as Christ's church, like living as though we truly believe that death and hell have no shot against us? Like, are we truly living that out? I mean, I'll answer that question for us. I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. I think sometimes we believe we are, but I don't think we as fathom, and really even the church in the world is living, knowing that death has no shot against us. Like, I feel like we've gotten maybe a little comfortable or even gotten a little scared or gotten content where we're at. We're just kind of okay with things. I just don't think that we believe it anymore that, that death doesn't have a shot against Christ's church because Christ has defeated death already. And so are we living as Christ's church today, knowing that truth that death and evil cannot prevail against us? Like, what would that look like if we actually lived like that? Like, imagine what fathom church would look like if we went into this world knowing that death had no shot against us because Christ, our our foundation, our rock, Our cornerstone has already defeated us death and promised us that his church will stand up to evil and hell and death every single time. Like imagine that. Like imagine the the loss that we could could reach if we knew that death couldn't stop us. Imagine the love and and the forgiveness that we could share with others in the world if we believed that death could not stop us. I wanna share this, this quote with you um, from Grant Osborne, who writes a commentary on this that I was reading this past week. And he says this, death cannot overpower the believer and the church will never be extinguished. So let's act like it. Like let's live that out. And as we kind of wrap this up in, in verse 19, it says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, Jesus is giving them the keys to, the, to his kingdom. Only the most trusted get the keys to the entire kingdom, right? To open and close every single door, like keys open everything. And here, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is talking about is the gospel. It's the message of God's love for his people poured out in the example of Jesus It's the gospel message. Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom and I'm entrusting you to teach it to everybody else. It's the gospel. It's my love for you. It's my offer of eternal life with me in heaven. If you confess with your mouth, I wanna give you the keys to my kingdom. And the rest of that verse really talks about what well, we as Christ's church, like we have the gospel, we have the power and authority to teach others about what is acceptable, what is forbidden, what is right and wrong according to, to scripture and according to Jesus. Like we the church have been given the keys to the gospel to reach others about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so I wanna I wanna just wrap it up here by saying this. Like I know that's it's it's a lot, like this whole section is a lot, but I want to end with a question. And it's the question that Jesus asked his disciples and not the question that who does the rest of the world think that Jesus is. But I believe that Jesus is asking every single one of us that personal question today. Who do you say Jesus is? And I don't know where Everybody stands like whether you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, you're a new Christian, maybe you're not a believer at all, you don't really get this, you've never really committed to this, you're just kind of feeling it out. Um, what, maybe you just hate this stuff, I don't know. Um, but when it comes down to it, we all have to answer that question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And how you answer that question is important. Have you confessed that with your mouth personally, Do you know Jesus for who he claimed himself to be? Or are you still kind of believing what the the opinions of the rest of the world says about him? Have you made that personal decision to confess that he is the Messiah, the son of man, the son of the living God? Or are you still kind of banking off the, the faith of other people or your parents? And if you've yet to answer that question, if you've yet to answer that question that Jesus is asking you personally, I wanna give you the chance and the opportunity to do that today as we wrap up. I wanna give you that chance to finally, maybe finally put it into words and answer that question of who you believe Jesus is and put your life in his hands, accepting the keys to his kingdom and joining his church in the mission to share the gospel with the world. So who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking you. Let's answer that today, church. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you so much for your words written down for us, Jesus. Jesus, for asking those tough questions um, that are not just for the disciples, God, but for us as well. And um, God, I just want to pray for those who have yet to answer that question you are asking us. God, maybe we're in this room right now and we have never confessed with our mouths that Jesus, that you are Lord and believed in our heart, that God, you have raised your son from the dead. Like maybe we just haven't confessed that yet. Maybe we've just been kind of going off of our, our parents' faith for, um, for our lives or the faith of others. And we just kind of assume that we are, that we are followers of you, God, but but God, you are asking each and every one of us this personal question of who do you say that Jesus is, and I pray that that if we need to answer that question today, we we answer it, God. And I pray that if we're we're still kind of thinking and going with the opinions of this world of what they say, who they say that you are, God, that I pray that we look deep down and just answer that question for us personally, and Jesus, if if this is the moment that we need to finally say to you, confessing with our mouth that you are Lord, you're the son of the living God, you're the Messiah. God, that I pray that we just, we just speak these words to you, God. God, so that we can just receive the keys to your kingdom, the good news of the gospel message so that we can give it to others. We could share that with others. God, I thank you for this tough, tough question. I thank you for what that brings out in us, the, the, the things that we need to address in our lives, God. And I just pray that that we can do that here today, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for asking this question of us, God, and giving us the keys to your kingdom with eternal life in you and that promise with you. Jesus, we thank you so much for this message over for this time together. and We pray these things in your name. Amen.